0: we praise you that you are sovereign God and that you care about every detail of our lives and that you've given many promises to each and every one of us so we we stand on those because it's your word and you're good to your word you give your word and you follow through and I pray God today that no matter where every person is at today whether there's a health issue in the family but there's a financial crisis, Lord, the uncertainty that's facing, Lord, family issues. There are just all kinds of challenges that we face from time to time. And Lord, many times we just kind of wear our church face and act as if everything's great and when it's really not. And I pray that we'll be transparent before you and say, God, I, I need you today. I need those promises. I need to know that you care. I need to know Beyond a shadow of a doubt the promise of you and so father I just pray that you'll bring encouragement you'll bring life today that we would be changed because we've been in your presence not that we've been singing some religious songs but that we've been singing praise and worship, and coming into contact with you the living Jesus as we praise and worship you Almighty God I pray now that you would take your word. These are your words, Lord. They're not my words. They're not anybody else's. your living word. Don't let anything in in me get in the way of what you want to say to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. How many of you, as you look back over your life, can recall the most frightening experience of your life? Okay, (laughs) I see that hand. (laughs) May have been a near, can you pull me up just a bit, maybe a little bit more. A near miss in an automobile. A plane ride through turbulence. It may have been a war experience. Maybe it was a time you were picked up by the police. Or sleeping through your alarm and realizing that today is your math final. One of my most frightening experiences happened to me when I was age five. My parents were missionaries in Japan where we were living at the, at the time. And I remember clearly because my two older brothers had just gone off to boarding school and I had just dropped out of kindergarten. That's another story. There was this dog... There was this dog that lived down the street. This was no ordinary dog. He was a championship fighting dog, who according to reports was the reigning champion in all of Japan. This dog was big, he was ugly, he was mean-looking with a bulldog-like face. Very tough and very menacing. At our house, we had a big Akita Husky as our pet, and this dog had attacked our dog not once but twice. And both times had chewed off part of his ears. Mike Tyson studied fighting from this dog. <laughs> Most of the time this dog down the street was kept chained in the backyard behind a locked gate. And the bottom of the gate was about there was about 12 inches off the ground, and we could peer under the gate and we could actually see the dog. So my two older brothers and I, being good missionaries we were, attempted to build relationships with the Japanese neighbors by teasing their dog. Now it's great fun to torment a monster as long as he's chained up. And we loved watching him take a full steam running at us, reaching the end of his chain and being jerk silly. It was, we thought it was great fun. Well, this particular day, I was all alone. My brothers were gone. I was just out playing, standing in the middle of the street, hanging out. As I looked down the street, I suddenly got this sensation, you've had it before, that someone was behind me. Then I heard this low, low rumble. It was a growl. Curious I spun around and found myself nose to nose with this monster dog. It's funny what you remember, but he was actually sitting down. And he was big, and I was small, nose to nose. I was so close I could feel his breath on my face. I could smell his dog breath. I could see his nostrils moving wider as he kind of sniffed his next meal. I could see his two lower teeth protruding like fangs and saliva dripping as if he could already taste me. I could see the sleepies in his eyes, and it occurred to me that he forgot to wash his face. Well, nose to nose, and I knew he recognized me. There were only three blonde Norwegians in all of northern Japan at that time. Now put yourself in the dog's place. When is the last time you were nose to nose with a five-year-old, and he screamed at the top of his lungs? Somewhere between the beginning and the end of my scream, I found myself perched on top of a six-foot wall. When I turned around, the dog was gone. I I believe I'm alive today because God created dogs with sensitive hearing. My mother, nearly a block away, heard me and came running. Well, it took owning two dogs and having a paper out for two years to overcome my fear of dogs after that experience. That's one of my... Experiences. So what was your most frightening experience? Or what was the biggest challenge you faced, the biggest obstacle? Maybe you are facing a, a frightening circumstance today, a monster wondering, what can I do? How can I possibly get through this situation? Nose to nose with a monster, a big obstacle, a scary situation. And asking, what is God doing? Where is God? Is there a God? Does God even care? Well, we can all face scary challenges in our life. I call it the big, the big. We all face the big, circumstances that are bigger than our ability to cope. And we all encounter the big. The big one, fatal heart attack. The big E, the mother of earthquakes. The the big D, your divorce. The big C, cancer. The big B, bankruptcy. The big. Obstacles too big for us to handle on our own. How do we deal with the big in our lives? We can't just scream and run away and jump on a fence. Well, today we're going to look at how one man dealt with the big. The big. He was an ancient Israelite named Caleb. And today as we look at the big, we're going to look at four keys to winning over the big in our lives. And I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Joshua. Joshua, the 14th chapter. It's on page 180 on the uh, in the Bible, in the in the rack in front of you, but Joshua fourteen, starting with verse six, Joshua fourteen, verse six. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, "You know what the Lord said to Moses the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me." I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard them that the Anakites were there. And their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. In verse 14 of the next chapter, from Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites. Caleb was an ancient Israelite, not because he was 85 years old, but because he lived in a time of history when Israel was conquering Canaan, the area known as Palestine. 45 years earlier, Caleb had had been promised land or inheritance, and, and land was the lifeblood for people. This was largely an agrarian culture, and the economy of Israel was based on land and its ability to support the people economically. There was only one problem with Caleb's promised land. Someone else had the land. And not just anyone, giants, giants, Anakites. Talk about the big. This was it, literally the big. But Caleb had so much faith and confidence in God that not only did he welcome the challenge of beating the giants out of their land, he asked for it. He asked for it. So how did Caleb deal with the big in front of him? And what difference does it make to us today in dealing with the big in our lives? Four keys. Key number one, remember. Remember. Remember God's acts in the past. In chapters 12 and 13 of Joshua, before this chapter, we find a list of 31 powerful kings that had occupied the land of Canaan. And Israel in God's strength had just subdued, destroyed, and devastated all 31 of them. And Caleb had just come through that, all of those battles. Caleb had witnessed God's incredible power. He was flushed with victory. He remembered. He remembered. But there's more. 45 years earlier, as we look back into the book of Numbers that he refers to, chapters 13 and 14 of Numbers, we discover that Caleb had made remembering a part of his lifestyle, remembering God's acts, Caleb was one of the 12 original spies who scouted out the land of Canaan for Moses. Caleb, along with Joshua, presented what we call the minority report that said we can defeat the giants in the land. We can. That's the positive report. The majority report said we can't. We can't. Why was Caleb so positive back then? Because he remembered. He remembered. He remembered the power of God displayed in the judgments on the Egyptians. In the crossing of the Red Sea, the drowning of the entire Egyptian army following them into the Red Sea. Now, one writer attempting to minimize this miraculous crossing of the Red Sea by the Israelites said, Research indicates that the point at which the Israelites crossed was only six inches deep. Wow. Can you imagine the miracle of drowning the entire Egyptian army in six inches of water? doesn't matter how you look at it. It's still a miracle. Of course, we know different. Caleb remembered. And remembering builds faith. Faith to overcome the big. Alan Redpath writes, Sometimes in the course of human experience, it is good to sit down and reflect on what has been conquered by the grace of God to recall where God has triumphed, triumphed. This is remembering what God has done in the past. In Numbers 14, 24, it says Caleb had a different spirit, a spirit of belief, a spirit of faith. All 12 spies had seen the land, they'd seen the giants, they'd seen the big. The majority measured their giants against their own strength. Caleb measured the giants against God. The majority had great big giants and a little god. Caleb had a great big god and little giants. When we compare, the giants come up short. The big is small compared to God. What is the difference between the viewpoints? They both saw the giants. They both saw the big. But Caleb had faith and believed that his god was bigger. Why? Because he remembered He remembered. Caleb says, give me this hill country. Give me this mountain. Give me this mountainous region where I've seen giants. Caleb wanted to go back and get those guys to prove who God is. Do we remember? Do we remember? Is the God who healed your heart after a painful divorce able to sustain you able to provide for you or able to provide companionship again today? Is the God who brought you through severe depression 10 years ago any less able to get you out of the pit today? Is the God who provided for you financially in your past crisis able still to provide today? Is the God who found you your last job able to find you this new job? Is the God who brought you through your last health crisis still able to provide healing today? Whether it's parenting crisis, relationship challenge, whatever it is, stop and remember. Remember. No matter what the big is in your life, remember. Remember how you've grown in the past dealing with the big. Say with Caleb, bring it on. Bring it on. Give me this mountain. I want to go back where the giants are to once again prove how big God is. Some of you have lived a long life walking with Jesus. God's done incredible things in your life. Some of you are saying, I'm getting too old for this. You know what? We need to have the attitude of Caleb that we want those giants back. Our country is in in a mess right now. Incredible mess. But remember, okay, look at history. One of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard is by Jim Garlow talking about the revivals over a 2,000-year span of the Christian church. Remembering what God has done in the past. And God has turned this country around before. He has sent spiritual awakening and revival. Remember, because he can do it again. He wants your participation in that. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're just right. Remember, believe again. The second key to winning over the big is wait. Wait, wait for God. Wait for God's timing, wait for God's timetable, wait for God's direction. Caleb was 40 years old when God through Moses had promised him his portion of the land. Now he is 85 years old. That's a long wait. In verse 10, it says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since The time, he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. Wow. This guy had patience to wait. Why? Because he had faith. He had faith. He believed God would fulfill his promises. And I can imagine Caleb as Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years saying, God, these are the best years of my life. I'm at my greatest strength. These are my my greatest potential. And I'm wandering around the wilderness with all these faithless people. Have you ever said to God, God, these are the best years of my life. Why am I still waiting? And One by one, all his friends and acquaintances, all that were his age, died. They were gone. Only he and Joshua were left. Patience, waiting. How would you like to be one of the two oldest men in, in an entire nation? Still waiting. There was a pastor who received a birthday card from one of the, his congregants. And it said this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Open it up and it asked, so tell me, what was it like? <laughs> don't ever send me one of those. So Caleb still waits 45 years after the promise. His strength is undiminished as he waits. Now, I don't know about you, I hate to wait, whether it's grocery lines or ticket lines, traffic, bank lines, We have instant everything, so we're not good at waiting. After remembering how God demonstrated his power in the past over the big, sometimes he has us wait for a reason. In 1983, Judy and I moved from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to Seattle. Judy was in Seattle with with Brittany, who was almost two years old. And I had a cousin who had agreed to help me load and drive the 24-foot rider truck cross-country to Seattle from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Since we were young back then, we decided to drive 24 hours straight through. You know, how many of you still do that? Okay, Okay. not many. How many of you have never done that? Yeah, I know, you guys have been as crazy as I am, but anyway. 24 hours straight through, and it was December. It was December. At 3 in the morning, we had just stopped for gas in Ellensburg in eastern Washington. It was 5 below zero. One mile out of the truck stop, I heard a boom, and the truck started to pull to the right. I thought, oh, no, I'd had, I'd had blowouts before. It was a blowout. And I pulled off to the shoulder of the interstate and parked on the shoulder. I mean, I was tired. I was frustrated. It was cold. We were three hours away from Seattle. I was mad. I was mad at God. I said, God, where are you when I need you? I walked and hitched a ride back to the truck stop. My cousin, who stayed to the truck, assured me to keep the motor running and keep some of those plants of Judy's alive. I said, don't let those die. Keep them alive. Well, have you ever tried to get a rider repair on the phone at 3 a.m.? It's not a pretty picture. You know, adding to frustration was I couldn't get anybody on the phone. And so three hours later, 6 a.m., finally, I got somebody on the phone. And I got action. And they they sent out a tow truck with a replacement tire to get us back on the road. Finally, by 8 a.m., a five-hour delay. Okay? I'd been up for a long time by this time. Five-hour delay. We hit the road again. We had not gone 10 miles when we began to see what we had missed. Cars and trucks by the dozens, dozens in the ditch, stuck in snow, turned over. It was a mess. And what I realized was that the night before, an ice storm had come over the mountains and created incredibly treacherous black ice. Nobody knew it was black ice. They didn't know it was coming. The pass finally had been closed to traffic. Now it was 8 a.m. They had sand of the roads and the pass was open and we were able to drive safely. God made me wait. Why? Because Judy's piano was on that truck and had I wrecked it, she'd have killed me. (laughs) Waiting, waiting. You know God's sovereign. He's never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. That's one of my biggest frustrations. He's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. Why is that? Because he's perfect. He's always perfect. He's always perfect. You know, we're not like that. But he's never late. He's always right on time because he's perfect. Waiting demonstrates dependence on God. I cannot do it. Waiting demonstrates faith, looking at God, because he has the solution. Awaiting demonstrates trust. Maybe I'm not ready for the solution yet. Maybe God has some more work to do through this big in my life. Maybe God really is in control and his timing is best. Sometimes God makes us wait because we're not ready for the big yet. Or the big is not ready for us. God is in control. He keeps his promises. And sometimes we just have to wait for his promise. Whether that's a salvation of a spouse or healing from a disease. Salvation of a child or a parent. Restoration of a marriage. Some of you have been dealing with the big for years. Caleb waited for God. The third key to winning over the big is obey. 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 Obey God fully. Three times, Caleb says, I have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And this is not just obeying a set of written rules. This is about the character of God, the concerns of God, the wishes of God. The Ten Commandments give us a place to start, but if all we do is follow regulations, we have no relationship, and it will never work. Jesus said that all these external acts, following the rules and regulations, are just an empty effort because it's about relationship, it's about our heart. It's about what's on happening on the inside. And when we are lined up with God in relationship, then we automatically, supernaturally, do the right thing as part of our nature. Our heart is changed. That's why he says, obey wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. Then our obedience is an effort to please a God we love rather than appease a God we fear. Let me say that again. Our obedience is an effort to please a God we love rather than an effort to appease a God we fear. Following God wholeheartedly means it's from our heart. We obey with a joyful heart. When we face the big, it's crucial to know God, know God's will, know God's character, know God's concerns, know God's wishes, and hear God's voice then do them wholeheartedly. Then he'll take care of the rest. We must first be possessed totally by God before he can possess all of us. Matthew 6.33 sums it up. This is my life verse, my favorite verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The fourth key to winning over the big is take action. Take action. Just do it. Verse 12 says, The Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. See, we remember, wait, obey, and take action. Now notice dependence on God followed by personal action. This is not a passive faith, but an active faith, driving the enemy out. Ephesians 2 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us. Salvation is by grace through faith. Works or action are the result of salvation. James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. Faith produces grace works. We don't earn that right standing before God, but when he changes us, when we're saved, come into a relationship with God, the result is action. The result is works. To win over the big, take action. Drive the enemy out. Failure to drive the enemy out will result in less than total victory. And you may need to drive the enemy out of your homes by turning off immoral TV shows or movies. Driving the enemy out by putting a filter on your internet connection. Drive the enemy out by cleansing your mind and instead filling your mind with the Word of God. Drive the enemy out by setting your priorities straight, by prayer and fasting. Drive the enemy out by stopping gossip at its source. Drive the enemy out by concentrating on the positive, the victories, not negativism, defeatism, or criticism. Look at the good, not the bad. Philippians 4.8 says this, Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, a good report, let your mind dwell on these things. Don't concentrate on the bad news. There's enough bad news to go around. Concentrate on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good report. Let your mind dwell on these things. When your mind is dwelling on those things, there's no room for all of the other junk that's coming at you. That takes action initiative. Where are you today? Many of you have the big in your life right now, a challenge, an obstacle, a mountain, a giant. Four keys. Remember, wait, obey, and take action. Just do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us real people to look at and see what they're dealing with. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work in our lives, all of our lives. That you would, in a supernatural way today, Lord, there are people facing the big, all kinds of issues. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would encourage us today that we would know and sense your presence and your power today. I pray that you'll build faith where we need faith. Where there's hopelessness, Lord, that you'll replace that with hope. And God, that we would leave encouraged, knowing that whatever big we face, you're there, and you're faithful. I'd like to Take a few moments. We're going to stand in a minute and sing Great as I Faithfulness. And if you're dealing with a big this morning, I'm going to invite you to just come and stand, kneel, whatever, and there'll be somebody here that will pray for you, with you. We believe in answered prayer. So as we sing Great as I Faithfulness, there's a big that you have in your life or someone else's life that you want to pray for and join with somebody. You come as we sing. Let's stand together as we sing. Great as I Faithfulness. Father, we're asking that your spirit would bear witness with our spirits that your faithfulness is there, that you have all strength and all power. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that our eyes won't be on human endeavor or human solutions, but we would look to you because it's only through the power and grace of Jesus Christ that any change is possible. So we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would assert your power and authority in each of our lives as we surrender to you today, knowing that your faithfulness is great. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.